Well, beloved, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. As we conclude this chapter this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we will be considering verses 25 through 40. 25 through 40. And if you would like to follow along, once again, there is a sermon note outlined as an insert in your bulletin. Join me once again in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, as we open your word this morning, we pray that your gospel would shine forth in our hearts. Grow us more and more in the joy of our salvation. Grow us more and more in love and adoration for Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse 25. Hear now the very word of God written for you and for me today. Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment from the Lord, yet I give judgments as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. I suppose, therefore, that it is good because of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loose. Are you loose from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But even if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, but I would spare you. But this I say, brethren, the time is short, so that from now on even those who have wives should be as though they had none, those who weep as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use this world as not misusing it. For the form of this world is passing away. But I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. There is a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I say for your own profit, not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper, and that you may serve the Lord without distraction. But if any man thinks he is behaving improperly toward his virgin, if she has passed the flower of youth, and thus it must be, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin, let them marry. Nevertheless, he who stands steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but has power over his own will and has so determined in his heart that he will keep his virgin, does well. So then, he who gives her in marriage does well, and he who does not give her in marriage does better. A wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives, but if her husband dies, she is at liberty to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. 
But she is happier if she remains as she is, according to my judgment. And I think I also have the Spirit of God. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's holy word, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word to us. He who has ears to hear, may he hear this very word of God. Well, beloved in Christ, a huge recurring temptation in the hearts of men and women is to feed the beast of sinful self and to let self drive the bus in our lives. To let self set the path, chart the course, and importantly, change the course at its whim if needed. For in many ways, we would selfishly like to look back at periods of our lives, stand on the winner's podium, and proudly say, even if just to ourselves, I did it my way. Look at all that I've accomplished. And we bow down to the throne of self. However, we well know from Scripture that the rule of self is always bad. The rule of self is always tyranny. The saints in Corinth learned this the hard way in many aspects as they experienced and, and Paul dealt with the repercussions of it. The world persuaded many to walk according to worldly principles in worldly ways, changing course in their lives and relationships for worldly reasons. But what was God's call to them? What is God's call to you and to me today? Stay the course and walk according to your divinely appointed calling as the redeemed children of God. We need to stay where we are, recognizing that God has placed us where we are, that this time in this place, to do what he has called and gifted us to do for his purposes and not our own. Paul said this is true regardless of our station in life, whether we be Jew or Gentile, slave or free, married or single. And a big point that Paul has pressed to us is that even if you have a desire to change and to do something unbiblical, even if you were tempted to walk away from your marriage, on unbiblical grounds, or if a slave desired unlawful separation from their master and just service to them, God says that keeping the commandments of God matters. Keeping the commandments of God matters. Faithful obedience is key in the Christian life across all stations. Faith working through love is what that should look like. And therefore, remain with God, abide with him in the state in which you were called. And so as Paul has responded to several questions that the saints wrote him about regarding marital intimacy, keeping the marriage vows, and walking faithfully in our calling, in today's text he now shifts to address another set of questions regarding the unmarried and the widows in the congregation. And so let's look at Paul's preference in verses 25 through 28, Paul's rationale in 29 through 31, and finally Paul's conclusion in 32 through 40. Look at how he begins verse 25 as he states his preference. Look at 25a. Now concerning virgins, and let's pause there for a minute. When Paul addresses the virgins here, who is he talking about? 
seeing in the context that the saint's question continues to be about to marry or to not marry, it seems clear that he is speaking of those who are of marrying age but haven't married yet. Again, we find the question here of whether or not the unmarried should marry. It takes us back to the Corinthian slogan for celibacy in verse 1. It's good for a man not to touch a woman. That's how Paul began the chapter, didn't he? And remember that many in Corinth were placing a spiritual and a moral superiority to celibacy. But that was wrong, particularly within the bounds of marriage. And so how does Paul speak to this matter? Look at 25b. I have no commandment from the Lord, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. Since Christ didn't speak to this specifically, Paul does so from the position of his apostolic authority. And before we just say, yeah, okay, got it, we've seen that before, Pastor, and we move on, see the wonderful act of God and his work in his apostles for the blessing and the edification of his church. Paul gave judgment as what? As, as a faithful and trustworthy apostle of Christ. And importantly, Paul was one who had obtained mercy from the Lord to be trustworthy. Notice that. For without such divine mercy, Paul would have been far from trustworthy. Consider Paul's later words to the saints in this very epistle in 1 Corinthians 15. Verses 9 through 11, where he says this, For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. And that is verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me and with me. And therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. Beloved, the grace and mercy of Christ was at work in and through Paul to minister the word to the people, and the Spirit worked mightily. My friends, trustworthiness and faithfulness in ministry is owed explicitly to the grace and mercy of God. It is owed explicitly to the grace and mercy of Christ. It wasn't in and of Paul, and it isn't in and of me. It's all of and from Christ, through us to you. As we declare Christ, as we put him forth and bear witness of him, his command, his person, his work, his example, his guidance and instruction of us, and how we must live as his people. It is all of and from Christ through us to you. And having spoken to the legitimacy of his judgment, Paul goes on to state his preference. Look at verse 26. 
I suppose, therefore, that it is good because of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Paul recognized the severity and the impact of the harsh persecution that the Corinthian Christians were facing in their present distress. And he speaks more specifically to this again back in 1 Corinthians 15, this time in verses 30 and 31, when he says this. And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm, by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. And so not only did Paul speak of staying the course from a place of biblical principle to walk faithfully in our calling, but he also provides practical pastoral counsel. That's what we see here. Practical pastoral counsel about change of status here. Considering the jeopardy and the distress that the saints were in. Paul was a loving pastor. He was a caring pastor. He was considerate. He knew the word of God. God gave him the word that he needed to impart and share and give to the people. But he also knew their condition. God knew their condition. And God through Paul here speaks and says, this is what you need to know, my beloved people. This is how you need to live. And what I tell you and what I share with you through Paul is even in consideration of your condition and your distress. It is good for a man to remain as he is, Paul says. Matthew Henry, a well-known commentator, points this out. He says, Christians, at the first planting of their religion, were grievously persecuted. Their enemies were very bitter against them and treated them very cruelly. They were continually liable to be tossed and hurried by persecution. And this being the then state of things, he did not think it so advisable for Christians that were single to change conditions. The married state would bring more care and cumber along with it and would therefore make persecution more terrible and render them less able to bear it. I think that's helpful. As we consider Paul's examples that he gives very clearly in his preference as he desires to be helpful to them. Look at verse 27. He asks the question, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loose. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But even if you do marry, you have not sinned. That's important for them to know. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Again, important for them to know. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, again, because of their present distress. But I would spare you. So the apostle recognized that providential circumstances can and should influence godly discernment in determining what needs to be done and what one needs to do, especially when considering marriage. And while a decision to marry, even in the midst of their distress and in the midst of persecution, it wasn't sinful... Paul wanted the people to know that getting married would present its own difficulties because of the strong persecution that they were going through. And considering all of this, Paul then gives his rationale for how we should live with a mindset and a focus that there is no time to waste. 
We need to live with a loose grip on this world. And with this in mind, he addresses both our view of relationships and afflictions in the following verses. Look at verse 29 as he begins his rationale. He says, But this I say, brethren, the time is short, so that from now on even those who have wives should be as though they had none. Now you may be thinking, now wait a minute, what is, what is he saying here? This seems kind of weird, and maybe is this a twisted reversal for Paul? Like he now was making an excuse for licentiousness or adultery, or like he is advocating for distance and separation in a marital, marital relationship? As if he's saying, hey men, brothers, if you're married since the time is short and the persecution is harsh, don't worry about it. Have fun. Act like you're not married. No, that's not what he's saying. Paul isn't teaching the neglect of our spouses. He is showing how an eternal perspective, a focus and a lens with eternity in view, will radically change when we spend time together and how we spend time together. The time is short. The view of eternity changes everything. Look at verse 30 and 31a. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use this world as not misusing it. Yes, it's true that Scripture teaches us that we need to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, Romans 12, 15. However, we don't need to indulge ourselves in the sorrows of the world, but rather we must joy in the Lord in the midst of all of our sorrows, in the midst of our grief, in the midst of our troubles. We find this in multiple places in Scripture, don't we? James 1, verses 2 through 4 may come to mind. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And also Peter's words in 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9, where he teaches us a marvelous thing, and this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to do what? To praise and to honor and to glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Yes, we are going through a time of present distress, just like the saints were in Corinth. We have our own present distress that we go through in this time and in this life. Yet the Lord is at work. The Lord is at work preserving us and sustaining us in the midst of trial and persecution. The Lord is using such things as a refiner's fire to test and to refine and to get the dross away from our faith. And to build us up, eyes focused on Christ. And to what? Again, with eternity in view, that we would praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Yes! Thank you, Lord Jesus! But again, Paul says, time is short. 
that, is, that should affect how we live now. Have the right view in mind. So Peter, finishing, says that we would praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom you have not, having not seen, you love. And though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That is the wonderful truth of redemption. Christ has saved us. He is saving us. And he will save us. In what way do we better understand the brevity of time? Look back at what he says in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, verse 31b. It's in knowing that the form of this world is passing away. Beloved, Paul is pointing us to the reality of the time in which the Corinthians live. Even in the time in which we live today, the world is passing away. The Apostle John in 1 John 2, 15-17 says this, in relation to our view, our grip, our affection toward the world. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lusts of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So considering these very words of John, take that mindset and even add that to this perspective that Paul is painting for us, and, and see the flow of this passage of Christ. In the midst of present distress, stay the course. Knowing time is short and this world is passing away. And therefore, have a fire in your belly to live for Christ now. A God-directed, not a world-directed, not a Corinth-directed fire. For their fire is but a flicker, if at all. It isn't even anything at all in many regards. But have a fire in your belly to live for Christ now. And don't have a death grip on the world or the things of it. But also consider Paul's words to Rome in Romans 13, 11 through 12. He said, and do this knowing the time. That it now is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent and the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness. And let us put on the armor of light. This, Paul says, is the exact mindset that should affect and guide our thoughts in regarding the change of status, but even the time spent in the relationship. And so in addition, as much as God wants us to be free from the works of darkness, he also desires that we be free from relational anxieties. And that's what we find 
Paul beginning with in his conclusion in verse 32. He says there, but I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares for the things of the world, how he may please his wife. Thinking about anxieties and temporal matters, Paul here points out the benefit by way of contrast from the perspective that single male saints have in being able to give undivided devotion to the Lord. Again, Paul isn't against marriage. We've already found that to be true abundantly in previous verses. However, he is speaking honestly here about the reality and the, the necessary consequences, or excuse me, necessary concerns spouses add to temporal matters. But then he remarks the same and gives the same contrast with the ladies notice in verse 34. There is a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. Important to note. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And so why does Paul give this instruction here specifically? He says it's to benefit and bless the saints. To benefit and bless the saints. Not to burden them. Not to put a leash on them. But really to free them. That they may worship and serve the living God with their whole hearts. And in verse 35, he says that very thing. And this I say for your own profit. Not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper. That you may serve the Lord without distraction. And so as Paul speaks to men who have deferred marriage to their betrothed fiancés, exhorting them with similar status change caution in verses 36 through 38, he remains consistent in his marriage that both married and unmarried statuses are good options. Though Paul again sees the benefit in remaining unmarried. And so Paul then ends his response to this Corinthian question with words to widows, doesn't he? The Corinthian question was, how should widows view marriage and remarriage after their spouses die? Verses 39 through 40 we read, A wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives, but if her husband dies, she is at liberty to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. She is happier if she remains as she is, according to my judgment. And I think that I have the Spirit of God. But Paul also said that, as uh, he said as much in Romans 7, verse 2, where he said, The woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So the words in the common marriage vow are true until death do you part. See the lawful binding at marriage and the lawful severing at death. The widow or the widower is then released and free to remarry in the Lord. So beloved, I'll leave you with this. Whether you are married or unmarried, Whatever station you are in, are you pursuing holiness wherever the Lord has you? Are you pursuing holiness 
wherever the Lord has you? Are you content and thankful in your calling? Prayerfully seek to be. Stay the course. Be faithful. But also keep in mind, we can't allow our marriages and our relationships to be the grounds for removing ourselves from our devotion toward carrying out our duties to Christ and furthering his kingdom. But rather, they should support and encourage that devotion. And neither should the unmarried exalt their freedom from distraction in devotion and have a superiority complex over others. But rather, may we all humbly serve Christ with our gifts together, in our stations together, as members of his one body. And finally, see the urgency in this passage and apply it in your own mind and heart. Time is short and this world is passing away. And therefore, have a loose grip on this world. And yet, with eternity in view, may your diligence in passionate, devoted obedience to Jesus, be more focused and strong strong than it ever has been, even this very morning. I pray that for you, that Christ would work in your hearts by His Spirit through His Word, that He would move you in a way in which you're even more Focused and have more and increased strength and zeal in your devotion to Him. If you struggle with that, I would encourage you to go to Him and pray that He would help you with that. Because having such a strong devotion to your Savior, to the furthering of His kingdom, is of utmost importance and is pleasing to Him. May God grant us all much grace to live rightly and joyfully and passionately with and before him always. Amen. Praise God for his word. Let's join our hearts together in prayer.